0: Today on the Matt Wall Show, as the Derek Chauvin trial continues, we'll try to sort through all of the issues related to George Floyd's death. Was he actually murdered? Did it have anything to do with race? And however he died, does he deserve to be memorialized and celebrated nationwide? These are three separate questions that all need to be dealt with separately. Also, five headlines, including another vicious anti-Asian assault that's being blamed on white supremacy, even though it wasn't carried out by a white person. Small technicality there. Plus, YouTube makes a move to protect the feelings of YouTube creators like myself. And I really appreciate that because my feelings are fragile. And AOC says you're racist if you use the term border surge. All of that, plus our daily cancellation and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Centuries from now, as archaeologists of the future sift through the rubble of our collapsed civilization, I wonder what they'll think when they uncover all the statues, memorials, murals, to an ancient historical figure named George Floyd. If they're very perceptive, they may even note that hundreds of monuments to other figures were torn down around the time that Floyd's monuments went up, sometimes the latter directly replacing the former. They'll conclude, I imagine, that Floyd was some kind of history-shaping leader, pioneer, hero. They'll think he was a great man, perhaps one of the greatest men to ever live. This assumption will be understandable given the evidence, yet totally wrong. George Floyd, we know, was not a great man or a good man or even a passively decent man. He was a violent felon and a drug addict, celebrated as a martyr based entirely on the manner of his death, which, whatever else you might think about it, was not exactly heroic itself. The conversation around this man, especially now that The trial of the cop charge and his death has begun and will drag on probably for weeks. That conversation is hopelessly convoluted. There are really three separate conversations that have, since last May, been blended together as one. There's the conversation about the manner of Floyd's death. Was he murdered by Derek Chauvin? And the conversation about Floyd's race and how it related to his death. If he was murdered, was it racially motivated? And the conversation about Floyd's posthumous elevation to the status of folk hero, whether he was murdered or not, whether it was racially motivated or not, is it good for us to celebrate this man and plaster his face all over our cities in his memory? For the media and the left, this is all one discussion with only one acceptable point of view. Yes, Floyd was murdered. Yes, he was the victim of racism. And yes, he should be mourned and honored by all people everywhere through all time. To them, the final two propositions flow automatically from the first. If you ask them, you know, why we should honor George Floyd, they'll say, well, because he was murdered by a police officer. If you ask them how they know he was the victim of racism, they'll say, well, it's because he was murdered by a police officer. If you ask them how they know he was murdered by a police officer, they'll just spit in your face and refuse to dignify the question with an answer. This is why you cannot criticize the hero worship of George Floyd without being accused of defending the officer who allegedly killed him. They don't see a distinction between his death and the hero worship. It's all part of a package. You're required to believe that Floyd was murdered and that it was because of racism and that he deserves to be honored in death in the way that we honor civil rights pioneers and war heroes. To stray from that narrative on any one of those points is to reject them all. Now, of course, in reality, You might really reject them all, and there's nothing wrong with that. Though it'll send the left into hysterics, who cares? But the point is that one need not reject them all in order to reject one or two of them. These are, again, different conversations, different points of contention, different things entirely. As to my own view, I think it is going to be very difficult to prove that George Floyd was murdered given the fact that he had chosen to put lethal doses of a dangerous narcotic into his system before he died. If he had not taken those drugs and then resisted arrest, resisted, we should note, repeatedly and frantically over the course of several minutes, he would most likely be alive today. Floyd was also complaining that he couldn't breathe before he was on the ground and restrained. The prosecution will have to prove not only that Chauvin's actions were negligently homicidal, but that Floyd died from those actions and not from the drugs. They haven't proved it yet. We'll see if they can. Now, I I tend to hold the increasingly controversial view that murder cases should be decided in court and that both sides should be heard from before a verdict is decided. As to the other questions, these are much clearer to me. No, George Floyd's death had nothing to do with racism. There is simply no evidence, not even the hint of evidence, that Derek Chauvin was motivated by any racial animus at all. There is no evidence, not even the hint of evidence, that Chauvin would have acted differently had Floyd been white instead of black. There's also no evidence that police are more likely to kill an unarmed black suspect. More unarmed white suspects are killed each year by police. And when you examine the statistical likelihood that the arrest, that's what you have to look, that's how you have to look at this. The likelihood that the arrest of an unarmed black suspect will turn fatal versus the statistical likelihood that the arrest of a white suspect will turn fatal, you're going to find that they are almost exactly the same. Also, you'll find that the category of unarmed suspect is misleading in the extreme, as Much of the time, the unarmed person, quote unquote, was nonetheless in the process of trying to kill the police officer through some other means, sometimes by trying to take the officer's gun and use it against him. The the racial element of the George Floyd saga is a fabrication. It is not based on anything other than the left's blanket assumptions, which they apply to all police killings indiscriminately. If a black man is killed by the cops, no matter the circumstance, it was because of racism. That's what they think. Ten years ago, I may have been exaggerating had I summarized their position that way, but not anymore. That is really what they think. Finally, should we be celebrating George Floyd? This, again, to me is clear cut. No, we should not. Whether you believe he was the victim of murder or manslaughter or his own choices or some combination of these, the fact remains that it's a disgrace and embarrassment to our country to have this man's face and likeness plastered everywhere. It is gross to give a man like this an elaborate funeral, a golden casket visited by weeping dignitaries from across the country. Remember the mayor of Minneapolis breaking down. He can't even—he contain himself breaking down in tears as if he was at the, the, the casket of his own child or something, The way that he was, uh, the way that he was reacting. It's insane to spend a year mourning his death while thousands of other people have died in the meantime. And the vast majority of them were far more deserving of our tears than Floyd. Again, this is the case no matter how he died, because the manner of his death does not change the fact that this was a man who preyed on members of his own community. He was a violent man, a career criminal, a predator, who should be alive today simply because he never should have been allowed out of prison after he invaded a woman's home, put a gun to her stomach, and robbed her. Another man in Floyd's group pistol-whipped her in the process. I mean, think about that. Not, Not just breaking into someone's house. No, no, no. Forcing your way in at gunpoint pistol whipping a woman. This wasn't a youthful mistake, but an act of barbaric cruelty committed by a then 33-year-old hardened criminal. And after serving an absurdly short sentence for that crime, I think he served maybe six or seven years or less, he was released from prison. Now, the media tells us he cleaned up his act at that point, but it's odd that a reformed man with a cleaned up act would be high on fatal levels of fentanyl, while attempting to scam a local store clerk with counterfeit bills. You know, that, that to me doesn't sound like reformation. Does any of this matter in assessing the facts surrounding his death? No, none of it, but potentially the fentanyl matters for that. It does, however, matter in deciding whether Floyd should be canonized. That's where it matters. And it's clear that he should not be, or I should say should not have been because it's already happened. And this point matters. It's not semantics. We're not picking a dead man's life apart for no reason. Normally, this is not a conversation that I would want to have. I don't relish the opportunity to point out the sins of the dead. I'm not going to find any random person, uh, their obituary in the newspaper, and start examining and pointing out all the bad things they did. It's not what I want to do. It's not how I want to spend my time. But when you paint giant murals of him and rename streets after him, then it becomes necessary to think about the kind of message that might send. Now, the irony here is that the left certainly agrees with this in principle because they're the ones who've torn down hundreds of statues of dead men based on the alleged sins those men committed. For Floyd, we have to ask, do we want our children to grow up in a world where a violent felon who victimized women and stole from and robbed his neighbors is celebrated and put forward as an example all because he died while resisting arrest and high on drugs. I would say no, we don't. At least I don't. I want my kids to aim a little higher in life than that. Now let's get to our five headlines. now a quick word from rex md you know men's health doesn't get much attention that's partly our fault guys because uh, we don't like going to the doctor i know i don't like going to the doctor and we definitely don't like talking about sensitive issues here's the thing a lot of men's health issues have really simple solutions we don't find out about them because we're not going to the doctor rexmd.com is here for that RexMD makes getting prescription ed medications easy all done online and from the comfort of, the, of, of your home then delivered no office visits no talking to a receptionist super simple Right now, sample packs of ED medications are available for listeners of my show, and I'll tell you how to get those in a second so it's simpler than ever to get started. Here's how it works. You'll fill out a quick uh, medical questionnaire on their website, and a doctor reviews your situation, prescribes you the ED medication that you need, if appropriate, then your medication is shipped right to your door with free two-day shipping. It's fast, transparent, and affordable. Half of men experience ED after the age of 40, and that stat, stat may sound scary, but it's a fact. It's way more common than a lot of people realize, which is why RexMD chief medical officer, Dr. Tony Papolo believes so strongly in what they're doing. Guys are getting better performance quickly and conveniently with RexMD. So it's never been easier to take control of your health. These sample uh, pack prescriptions I mentioned are available at rexmd.com Walsh. So go to Rex, R-E-X, M-D, com walsh to get started with RexMD. RexMD.com slash walsh You know we're we're experiencing kind of a contentious moment in our household, um, which uh, I share with you because why wouldn't I just share it with a bunch of strangers? You know I, I went into my my daughter's room uh, this this morning before I left for work to say uh, say bye to her like I always do, and she um, she told me that she had uh, she had lost a tooth the night before, and she didn't she didn't tell us that she had lost a tooth. Because she was she was running a test. She's a smart girl. She's smart. And she was running a test. She's like, Daddy, I lost a tooth. I didn't tell you. She she was she was running a test because she wanted to see, like, yeah, the tooth fairy comes, allegedly. But if I don't tell mommy and daddy that I lost a tooth, will the tooth fairy still come? Because the tooth fairy should still come if the tooth fairy exists, even if mommy and daddy don't know about it. The tooth fairy should know. And so she told me that. And I, you know, I'm kinda like scrambling and I'm like, well, yeah, we well, we we communicate with the Tooth Fairy or something. I don't know. We have to send her an email. I, I was trying to think of an excuse. And of course, the whole time I'm thinking in my head, like, what why are we doing this? This has been my point all along. if I if I could go back and redo one thing as a parent, go back to the beginning, it would probably be this. I don't I don't think I would do the the fantasy. I, I don't think I, you know, I, I think I I might not introduce Tooth Fairy, Santa, Easter Bunny, all that. And the problem is, or maybe you pick one, like just do Santa, not the others. Because the problem is now they're a package. And the Tooth Fairy is a lot more frivolous than Santa, and it feels not as important. And also somehow even weirder and crazier, and harder for kids to believe. Like they're going to figure out Tooth Fairy before they figure out Santa. But now it's a package. So I was talking to my wife about it. She's like, oh, we can't tell her about Tooth Fairy because then Santa goes and I want to get another Christmas out of that. It's, uh, it's, not, it's not worth the trouble. And then you're just lying to your kid's face about it. All for what? All for what is what I ask. All right, let's move on. Uh, this is uh, number one here for the New York Post. It says a racist attacker brutally beat an Asian woman who was walking to her church in Midtown on Monday morning. Maybe you've seen this. Let's play the clip right here. Uh, this is, looks like security camera footage. Um, the woman walking, just she's walking down the street, and then the guy comes up, kicks her. It's a horrible footage. Stomp- I mean, he's stomping on her head. Could easily have killed her. Just trying out. to kill her. And then, probably the most disturbing thing you see in the video, you see at the very end, there's, there are two guys standing there watching all this happen. And then it looks like at the very end, I mean, literally, insult to injury, the, the guy starts shutting the door. And leaving this woman, this uh, was a 65 year old woman, bleeding on the sidewalk. Um, now, according to the New York Post report here, the uh, the guy yelled at the woman, F you, you don't belong here. So, this was, it would seem really clearly, an uh, anti Asian hate crime assault. That's what he's being charged with and from what i read the hotel staff also have been put on leave uh, for just standing by and watching and i you know and i'm not going to make any excuses for them at all because when you watch something like this happening you, your your duty is to step in i don't want to hear any yeah this is a this guy that was doing this a big guy you know you might think i don't know if i can take him. so what you you got to step in it was one of those times even if you get yourself hurt in the process you have to step in it's your responsibility as a man as another human it's your responsibility to step in but we also have created a situation as a society where we discourage people now after the fact yeah we blame people who don't step in and again we should they, we should blame them for cuz they should because they ought to step in but we've also created a situation where we're discouraging people from stepping in because you know, the hotel, hotel staff might start thinking, well, you know, if I step in, if I, if I, am I going to get sued? Am, am I Are they, they going to start blame, saying that I'm a racist? Am I going to get blamed for this? Am I going to get fired? There are plenty of cases of employees in different establishments, retail stores, trying to stop someone from stealing, then they get fired for doing it. So am I going to get fired? And, they get, and they're running through all that in their head. Still, you got to do the right thing, even in spite of that. But we haven't exactly created a situation as a society where people really are encouraged to to do the right thing in these situations. Now, an update on this story. The attacker's name is Brandon Elliott. I want to read this to you. He is he, he he's out walking the streets or he was walking the streets because he was off on parole after killing his mother. In 2002. Now, he killed his own mother. uh, And he would have been, I think he's 38 now. He would have been in his early 20s when he did this. Now, that is a sentence that just should not ever need to be written. That's a sentence that shouldn't exist. On parole, after killing his mother, that is not a sentence that should ever be published. Because that's not a thing that should ever happen. There is no situation where anyone should ever see the outside of a prison, of a prison after killing their own parents. No, what we should be reading about with uh, Brandon Elliot is we should be reading, uh, you know, the state carried out an execution of Brandon Elliot. Like that should be the headline of Brandon Elliot, his execution for killing his own mother. At the very least, you keep him in prison. You want to talk about prison reform rather than... than, I know the prison reform that we got from Donald Trump, supposedly the law and order candidate, the law and order president, right? Um, The the prison reform we got from from him was about letting people out of prison and it, it made Kim Kardashian really happy. So that's nice. That prison reform made Kim Kardashian happy. Great. But that's not the kind of prison reform that's going to stop things like this from happening. That's not the kind of prison reform that's going to make our community safer. The kind of prison reform we need is where you do something like murder your mother or murder anybody. You never get out of jail. Automatically you are in jail forever. You never see the, that is a one, not, we don't get three strikes, not 10, one strike and you're out. You kill someone, you're in prison forever. If not at a minimum, you're in prison forever. Um, You do something like what he just did, brutally assault someone randomly for no reason when they're walking down the street, in prison forever. When you do that, there are things that you can do as a person where you are announcing to society that you have no interest in being a part of it. You don't want to be a part of civilized society. You want to be an animal. That's what you want. And so we have no choice if we want to protect the innocent. We have no choice but to say, okay, you want to be treated like an animal? That's what you're asking for. That's what you'll get. Now you're going to be in a cage for the rest of your life. If we're not forced to put you down like a dog through your own behavior, we have no, cho- we have no choice. You got a guy like Brandon Elliott. What choice do we have? He's making exceedingly clear. He kills his own mother. We let him out of prison. Then he just starts attacking random elderly people. What does Brandon Elliott have to do to get the message across? I don't want to be a person. I want to be an animal. Let me out of jail. I'm going to keep victimizing people. And What does the court system say? Well, okay, we'll give you another chance. Yes, I mean, you, you start by killing your mother. You spend 17, 18 years in prison and magically you're going to be better now. That's probably not. You spend 17, 18 years hanging out with other violent sociopaths. You're probably not going to be you're not, you're not going to be less dangerous now than you were when you went in. And if you are really, here's the thing. If you are really reformed, it, the way I see it, like if, if, if you do something like that and then you go to the parole board and you ask to be let out of prison, that to me is an indication that you're not reformed because if you were reformed, actual reformation would be, um, yeah, you know, I've realized the error in my ways and I realize that I deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be out in in society. I I deserve this punishment. The fact that you think you deserve to get out of jail after doing something like that tells me that you are not reformed. That you are still the violent sociopath you were 17 years ago. 18 years ago, whatever. Um, But even so, even after that attack, we're still told that uh, now, now Brandon Elliott is, uh, not a, is a black man, not a white man. Um, even so, this is still white supremacy, of course, as you might expect. Eugene Gu, Dr. Eugene Gu, uh, is a prominent leftist crackpot on social media. has got a big following and uh, half a million followers, in fact. He sent out a tweet that said, it was after this uh, this story broke, he said, Black-on-Asian crimes only occur because of our system of white supremacy that strips African-Americans of their economic opportunities while taking respect and dignity away from Asian-Americans. Also, white people in power are experts at dividing and conquering to stay in power. Oh, okay. Oh, That's why Brandon Elliott stomped an elderly Asian woman half to death. It's because he didn't have economic opportunities. That's also why he killed his mother, because of white supremacy. That is... This logic is not only insane and twisted, um, but it also strikes me as incredibly racist that you're taking age, uh, uh, agency away from black Americans. What he's, what he's saying here, um, pretty clearly is, uh, he couldn't help himself. Can't expect him. We, we can't expect him to not act that way. That's what he's saying. That to me is racist. The not racist approach is to say, I don't care if you're white, black, or I don't care what your color is. You act like that, you're going to jail forever. It is your fault, 100%. It's on you. We expect you to act like a civilized person. If you can't, you're going to prison. The race is irrelevant. All right, number two, um, on the subject of white supremacy, that's a subject every day, of course. Uh, Even though they're about, they're about, 12 white supremacists in the country but um this is what we have to worry about is white supremacy this is the major problem so aoc had some thoughts about the surge at the border um which we're not supposed to call it that but she had some thoughts on it which she shared on uh, on instagram and, and here it is
1: they want to say what about the surge well first of all just gut check stop Anyone who's using the term surge around you consciously is trying to invoke a militaristic frame and that's a problem because these, this is not a surge. These are children and they are not insurgents and we are not being invaded, which by the way is a white supremacist idea, philosophy. The idea that if an other is coming in the population, that this is like an invasion of who we are.
0: Yeah, white supremacists, right? Because white people invented that. That people who are on the outside of your group, your tribe, are an other. And when they come, they're invading. That's a white supremacist idea. Huh. Isn't that that what we hear for the Native American groups all the time? Ta- have, don't we always hear about the European invasion of the Americas? So that's white supremacy. It's white supremacist to say that about white people. Well, but of course, it's not in that case, it's not. Because we know that the, the term white supremacy... I, I, I still hear somehow um, normal, sane, rational people, even conservatives, using the term white supremacy you know, as if it still means something. We, you got to just stop using that word. You know, because you're, 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 you're accepting the left's framework. The, the word now, it doesn't mean anything anymore. It just doesn't. You can't use it. It has no meaning. White supremacy now is whatever they don't like is white supremacy. That's, that's all it means. They have, they have stripped it of, of any other meaning. By the way, surge, she says it's your uh, you're consciously. If you use the word surge consciously, as opposed to what using it unconsciously, but if you use it consciously, then your uh, it's a militaristic white supremacist framework. She says, "Well, the the definition of, according to the dictionary the definition of surge is a sudden, powerful forward or upward movement, especially by a crowd or by a natural force, such as the waves or tide. Uh, a crowd or a natural force moving suddenly and powerfully forward or upward." Okay, so it's when a when you got a crowd of people who are suddenly moving. In a certain direction. That's what surge means. Hmm. You got a crowd of people moving in a certain direction. So like let's say, for example, a crowd of illegal immigrants moving up north. Hmm. It's almost like, what would you call that? A surge? I don't know. Number three, this is from uh, Tube Filter, which is apparently a website. It says, in uh, what would mark a major change to the way in which viewers can engage with YouTube videos if permanently implemented, the platform is testing a new display whereby video dislike counts wouldn't be publicly shown. YouTube announced on Twitter that the experiment is being conducted among a small group of users and was conceived, quote, in response to creator feedback around well-being and targeted dislike campaigns. While dislikes won't be publicly displayed or particip- uh, for participants in the test, creators will still be able to see the exact number of likes and dislikes on their videos on the back end in YouTube Studio. Um, in a help forum post, YouTube clarified that there is no way to opt out of the experiment, though it says the move is impermanent and that it's keeping a close eye on feedback. So uh, wh- what they're saying is that you know, when, when, you're, when you're making YouTube videos, like, much like I do, and you get a bunch of dislikes, it's, it is, it is uh damaging to your well-being, to your psychological and emotional well-being. And you know what? At first I, I saw this and I thought that this is ridiculous, but then I realized, hey, I'm a YouTube creator, and it hurts my feelings when I get dislikes. How dare you? I spent all my time putting this, these videos out there, and for you to not like it, I, you're entitled to like it. I mean I made it. How dare you not like it? You ungrateful bastards. I'm in favor of this. I think it should be really instead of getting rid of the dislike button, it should be a like button and another like button. So you get two choices, but you can like it or you can or maybe like you can like it or you can love it. Those are your two options. I think that that's that's what we should go with. I I've got some I've I've been the victim of targeted dislike campaigns. Some recent shows, in fact, I think of mine, have like tens of thousands of thumbs down. And again, initially, when I, when I would see something like that, I'd laugh about it. But then I realized that, no, I'm a victim here. I should take the opportunity to be the victim. So remember, if you're, if you're watching this right now on YouTube, remember to, remember to smash that like button. Not the dislike button, you bigot. Think about my emotional well-being before you hit that dislike all right, number four, Chelsea Handler, noted scholar, had this to say on Twitter. She said, uh, it's so pathetic that there's a trial to prove that Derek Chauvin killed George Floyd when there's video of him doing so. It's pathetic. It's pathetic that we're still doing trials in this country. Ridiculous. All right, Twitter's already decided that he's guilty. Why can't that be enough? Now she's getting, um, th- there's, a, there's a bit of a targeted dislike campaign going against that tweet right now. And I'm sure she's a victim of that because people are responding to it in a negative way as well they should. But she's only being honest th- about, about what the media feels and, and, uh, and how people on the left feel about this. In fact, here is uh, Lindsay Davis on ABC. She was uh, talking about the George Floyd case and her opinion. She used, she, she used more words and different words but really she came to the same conclusion as Chelsea Hamill, let's listen.
1: This case is so much bigger than what happened 10 months ago in the corner of 38th and Chicago in Minneapolis. On its face, Derek Chauvin is on trial for sure. But for many Americans, this nation is on trial. Our criminal justice system is on trial. And for many, especially black people, um, this is about black and white. This is about justice for people who aren't specifically involved in this case. This is about justice for Eric Gardner and uh, Breonna Taylor and Daniel Prude and on and on and on the countless black people who've been killed by police in this country with very little repercussions or or punishment. And I think that that's what makes it interesting when you look at the context, the backdrop of what also was happening in this country on May 25th of 2020 in New York City, Central Park. It's the same day that a white woman called the police on a black man who was bird watching and said, threatened that she was going to call and followed through with that uh, to say that a, a black man is threatening my life.
0: So what does that have to do with George Floyd? The woman woman called the cops on a guy who was birdwatching. So, what what does that have to do with Derek Chauvin being on trial? Well, it's because she feels exactly how uh, how Chelsea Handler feels, which is that we don't even need a trial. It, it, it's, it's it's not about Derek Chauvin. I said this yesterday. This is proof of of uh, proofs in the pudding here. That from the left's perspective and the media's perspective, and I don't know why I list those two groups like they're two different things, but. From their perspective, um, Derek Chauvin is, it's not about the facts of the case for him. It's not about what he did or didn't do. It's not about George Floyd. It, Derek Chauvin is a, is a symbol. And you heard us say America is on trial, right? Racism is on trial. He's a symbol for all of the things they don't like. They don't like America. So this is, he, he symbolizes America. He symbolizes white people. He symbolizes all of the alleged and perceived sins of whiteness. He symbolizes um, every alleged or actual white racist who has ever done anything wrong. All of that is contained in the person of Derek Chauvin. Everything that makes up the actual Derek Chauvin, all of his unique traits and uh, all the things that he did or didn't do, that is emptied out. We have kind of hollowed him out. And in his place, we have put um, all of this. He's he's a, a sacrificial goat, right? And they need him. He's a sacrificial goat, and he needs to be slaughtered. It's kind of like an, an actual sacrificial goat you bring up to the altar to sacrifice. It's not because the goat did anything wrong, necessarily. It's about what the goat symbolizes, and he's the goat here. And they are very clear about that. All right. Um, Chet Hanks. Now we, got, now we got to get to the really important stuff. I've been waiting to talk about this because this to me is, is the, the, the biggest, most important thing happening in society right now. Chet Hanks is the son of Tom Hanks. Um, he is or was a rapper, I think, at one point. And now he's an actor, I believe. Uh, but mostly he's a pioneer. And so, for example, he pioneered something called White Boy Summer, which is picking up Steam online. And, uh, you know, I saw people talking about it online. I didn't, know, I didn't know what they were referring to. And, you know, and then, and then I found out that, they're, oh, they're referring to what Chet Hanks said. And I didn't know who Chet Hanks was. And then I had to look that up and I was, I was digging through and I finally got to the videos where Chet Hanks announces White Boy Summer. I still don't know what White Boy Summer is, even after watching the videos, but I thought I'd play them for you so that we can all join together and, and be confused together. So here's Chet Hanks announcing white boy summer.
2: Hey guys. Um, look, I just wanted to tap in really quick. I just got this feeling, man, um, that this summer is, uh, it's about to be a white boy summer, you know, take it how you want. I'm not talking about like Trump, uh, you know, NASCAR type white. I'm talking about, you know, you know, me, um, John B, Jack Harlow type white boy summer. You know what I mean? Let me know if you guys, uh, can vibe with that. And, uh, get ready you know because i am
0: i think i'm ready i don't know i don't know who any of those people are so i'm a little suspicious he said it's not a i'm not a big nascar guy either but you know he's it it doesn't really clear he's just all he says is i i I got this feeling i got a feeling that's white boy summer that's all what is white boy summer it's just a feeling i had that's it and we're it's it's happening what's happening i don't know it just is Now, later on, as this conversation about White Boy Summer uh, continued, he recorded another video giving some of the, and so now it's starting to clarify a little bit, he's giving some of the rules for White Boy
2: Summer, and let's listen to that. Oh, wow, wow, wow. Woke up this morning, internet gone mad again, sheesh, Um, but I just want to drop a few uh, rules and regs for uh, the White Boy Summer. Okay, rule number one. Uh, to all my white boys out there, no plaid shirts, okay? Can't be looking like a picnic table out here, boys. Wait, why? Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Leave that sh- at home. The uh, vineyard vines and you know, okay? Ralph Lauren or whatever. The I'm sold a home. Bill of Goods. Uh, just put on a black tea, a white tea. You know what I mean? Keep it simple. Uh, rule number two: No Sperry topsiders. That's not that the kind of white boys we're talking about, dog. Okay? Uh, get yourself some Vans, some some Jordans I'm not really a I don't know what he's head, referring to but, these know, shoes feel it out uh and okay, uh shoes, I'm told there'll be more rules coming oh yeah yeah no calling girls smoke shows okay okay that that term is uh it's played out dude and you can't so just is see it all, all right, right. Be like, okay s-
0: shut f- up f- sh- smoke show. is this so this is what white boy summer is just at is a, a bunch of rules that we have to follow That's what the summer is. I thought I thought I thought I was expecting something a lot more fun than that. You're just introducing more rules for us. You cannot call it white boy summer and tell me no plaid. That that is not going to fly. That's not going to cut it. The rest of that, I don't know what the rest of that is. So fine, I can do without it. Maybe uh, and I admit, maybe the problem is he's white boy summer. I'm I'm probably too old for white boys. I think he is, too. It looks like he's like 45. But um, I, I, I will admit I'm too old. Uh, maybe it's more, it's not really about your chronological age. It's about your station in life. And as a father of four kids, uh, married man, I'm probably too old for White Boy Summer, which is why I decided I'm announcing, and this is pretty exciting, they can have White Boy, white boy Summer. I'm, I'm announcing White Dad Summer. Um, and White Dad Summer, the uniform for that, very simple. You can do a polo or a t-shirt, um, and you can go plaid. But the main thing is tucked into cargo, cargo shorts, new balances, white new balances, obviously is going to be the traditional footwear of our people as white dads, but you you can really go any color you want. Um, And you got the socks pulled up and, uh, and then you got the sweat stained ball cap, which is uh, with the bent brim that you've had since 1993 that you still wear. And then the knockoff Oakley shades, of course, that is white dad summer. That's what I, and that, and by the way, that summer is in full effect in my house anyway. All right, let's move on to, I'm glad we were able to, to talk about that and cover that. Let's move on to so reading the YouTube comments. As uh, from Ron, he says, how can Chauvin possibly get a fair trial when the city of Minneapolis already admitted guilt by settling a lawsuit and awarding the family millions of dollars? This has mistrial written all over. Well, that's a very good question. Yes, not only is it, is the trial still in Minneapolis and not being moved to another city, but is, yeah, exactly. The city is already has already admitted guilt. Um, and they did that during the jury selection process. So it, it's clear that, that I talk about the left and the media, they're trying, they, they want, they see Chauvin as a symbol and he has to pay the price. That's what the city see, see, sees him as. Also he's, he's the sacrificial goat as far as they're concerned. Um, Mike says, could you explain your stance on breaking up via text? It's not really a stance. It's more of, um, you know, if, if, If if you've only been dating, I know this is not a popular view, but if you've only been dating for a few months or a few weeks or whatever, and and it's not working out, like your relationship is so insignificant that it really doesn't, you don't need a whole long emotional conversation. And uh, one of the problems is if you do the long emotional conversation in person or on the phone, uh, that's when the other person might be able to convince you. Like, you know, this is not working at all because it's a couple months into it and already I don't like you. And so this is just, it's not going anywhere. But if you have a conversation, the other person might be able to emotionally blackmail you and convince you to stick it out for a little bit longer and just delay the heartbreak for later. So you know, I'm of the opinion, it's, it's, they won't like it, but it's the best for everyone involved to just make it like a band aid, quick, simple, easy, send the text message, you know, they're going to hate you for it. But at the same time, it's probably better for them anyway to, to, to hate you for it and then they can move on and, uh. And that's my, I'm not saying it's good advice, but that's simply my advice. Um, Roland says, uh, hi, Matt. The phrase no cap means something is true or that the person who says it is not lying. Cap means the opposite or not true. Love the show. What? No cap. Yeah, someone said no cap yesterday in the comments. and I didn't know what that meant. No cap means something is true or that the person who says it is not lying. Cap means the opposite or not true. Wh- why though? This is this has been the theme of this show. I just I get older and older as as we progress here. Um, and finally, Nicholas says, commenting for the algorithm, I will say Nicholas, you are not banned for that. You are the opposite. You are uh, I don't know. You are knighted. You are a knight of the Matt Walsh show for doing that. Thank you for your service. Uh, And and by no that's the, that is, that is the main thing. Leave a comment, smash the like button and, uh, and leave a comment. doesn't matter what the comment is. And if all, if that's all you're doing is leaving the comment saying it's for the algorithm, I'm fine with that. Thank you for your service to the show. It is an honor. We've been talking recently about gun rights and the attacks on gun rights or the attacks on our constitutional rights in general, which there's there's been quite a lot of that, unfortunately, in the last year, especially. Uh, And uh, as conservatives, we always say, well, we love the Constitution. We want to defend the Constitution. Yet, how many of us have taken the time to really learn it and actually stand ready to defend it? That's why my friends over at ConstitutionCoach.com have a lot of great programs that you should take advantage of for equipping citizens to defend liberty uh, by studying and living out the Constitution. I experienced the Constitutional Defense course myself. Um, it was one of the most worthwhile experiences that I've had. And you can have the same experience. You get an amazing combination of intellectual ammunition and live classes with Rick Green, America's Constitution Coach, and then you also get the physical training at the premier firearms training facility in the nation. You're getting all this in the same course, right? You get to join hundreds of other patriots from across the nation for a time of learning and training and fellowship with like-minded people. It's a really important part of this is the fellowship whether you've shotguns your whole life or if you've never touched one or if you're somewhere in between, doesn't matter. This is for you. Uh, these people, they took me to a, a whole new level, uh, skill level, and they'll do the same for you. They'll do the same for anyone. So don't just get a gun. Learn how to carry with confidence and get the training you need to defend your family. Go to constitutioncoach.com. Rick and the Constitution Coach team have another class on April 25th, but it'll fill up pretty fast. So visit constitutioncoach.com today and watch my video there to find out more about how you could be a part of this one-of-a-kind training. That's constitutioncoach.com. As you probably heard, Candace joined The Daily Wire a few weeks ago uh, with the premiere of her new talk show, Candace. The show streams on dailywire.com, Fridays at, 8, at 9 p.m. Eastern. But you can get the audio podcast, Candace, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Featured guests, they've had, they have a lot of different guests, Jocko Willink, uh, Brandon Tatum, John Rich, to name a few. Candace is the first Daily Wire show to appear in front of a live audience. But don't worry, if you can't attend the show in person, you can still submit your questions to at the Candice show on Twitter. Um, join, and, uh, and also, of course, you can become a Daily Wire member. you got to become a Daily Wire member. If you want to watch the whole show, use code CANDICE, and uh, make sure you do that now. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today for our daily cancellation, I'm not sure who exactly is getting canceled, but I do know what I want to complain about. Um, we'll figure out the rest as we go along. So this past weekend, I went to the zoo with my wife and kids, along with my niece and nephew and brother and sister-in-law. We had six kids, seven and under, four adults. Um, one of the adults was pushing a stroller, another one, my brother-in-law was carrying around a fussy one-year-old and I was hampered because of the soft pretzel and cheese dip that I was trying to eat as we walked along. Now it's, um, it's very hard to keep track of six children in this environment, especially with the soft pretzel and cheese dip. So you have to constantly do the count, right? You're, you doing one, two, three, four, five. We're missing one. Where's the other? Where, oh, there he is. Hey, no, stop climbing that fence. There's a tiger in there. And to make matters worse, as your kids are running around this way and that, you're noticing that the meerkats and monkeys all have better behaved children than you do. They're looking at you shaking their heads with disapproval. But then I noticed a woman um, with what appeared to be just one child walking him along on a leash. And the leash was attached to the kid's backpack, making it slightly less aggressive and noticeable than the harnesses they used to attach directly to kids' bodies back in the old days. I saw this. And I thought the same thing that I always think on the rare occasion that I encounter a leashed child in modern society, and that is, wow, that looks so much easier. I totally understand why that parent is doing that, but I can't do it because I don't want to endure the glares from other parents. See, as parents, we all know that the child leash makes a lot of sense. We've all looked with a mixture of awe and envy at the parents with leashes. We've all thought to ourselves, I get it. I do. I get it. But we don't say that, though, because if we notice another parent is also looking, instead we'll turn to them and say out loud, sheesh, she's got a leash on that kid. Pretty awful, right? What a weirdo. I would never do that. And we all walk away speaking our forbidden pro-leash truth silently in our hearts. As I said, back in the old days, this wasn't an issue. Parents used to leash kids all the time. I distinctly remember being five or six years old and uh, seeing other kids walking around the park, tethered to their parents. It was totally normal. That at some point in the last 20 years or so, we decided that this is now unacceptable. Many parenting shortcuts have been deemed problematic and somehow negligent or abusive in recent years, just in time for me to not get to use them. Play pens are another. Back when I was a young child, kids were put into pens, much like barn animals, for hours at a time. You didn't have to worry about your one-year-old running through the house, swallowing quarters, sticking their fingers into outlets, falling down the steps. You, you just had to put them in the cage, I mean, the you know, the the, the detainment facility, and, uh, and, and sit down and drink your beer. It was that simple. But nobody uses play pens anymore. So many other examples come to mind. Again, when I was a kid, I vividly remember being left in the car often and for long stretches while my mom ran into the grocery store. We, we would get left with, like, uh, snacks and a sleeping bag in case it gets late. She made sure that the, that the temperature was comfortable. Obviously, we weren't left in a 95-degree vehicle. Uh, but then she would run and, and do her errand, that we would wait in the car. It was totally normal. Again, everyone did it. But now, leaving your child in a car for even two minutes, not ma- no matter how cool it is outside, or what precautions you take, is considered an act of unthinkable neglect. If you do that now, people say, You left your child in a car? Well, in a car? Parents these days are afraid to leave their kids alone in a car while they walk 12 feet away to put their shopping cart back, or at least that's the excuse they always give me for leaving the cart. There's no reason for this. A child in a locked car on a cool day in a shopping center parking lot is perfectly safe. Might be one of the safest places for him. Oh, you might be kidnapped. Well, he's just as likely to be kidnapped in that circumstance as he is to be kidnapped out of his room at night, which is to say it almost certainly will not happen and almost never has happened. Almost never. You hear about the cases when it happens because it almost never does. Yet we've decided to make life a little harder for parents on this, in this area for no reason. Car seats, another example. Do you know they expect you to keep a kid in a car seat until he's like five now? And then you switch to a booster seat until he graduates college. And the car seats are are not so much car seats as they are seats salvaged from rocket ships. They're massive, heavy, impossible to install, and they restrict the child's movement so much so that he's guaranteed to cry and whine for the whole nine-hour drive to the beach. When I was a kid, you know what, what, what putting a kid in the car, man, you, you just, you open the door and said, get in. And the kid got in and, butt- and buckled themselves and that was it. My parents had me in the front seat, no car seat, no booster seat. When I was like four, we had the middle seat in the front. I would sit there. you just jumped in the car and took off. They have to spend 45 minutes getting everyone locked in, like we're about to blast off on our way to a settlement on Mars or something. It was easier back then for parents. Fewer rules, less shame, less of a chance that CPS would knock on your door because your neighbor reported you for allowing your eight-year-old to ride his bike down down to the playground by himself. That's the way it was, it's not that way anymore. In conclusion, woe is me. Who am I canceling? I guess everyone who has made parenting this complicated. Which includes myself, because like I said, I do join in the shaming of the leashed kids and the, or the parents who use leash, leashes, even though I sort of envy them. So I'm a pro- part of the problem, um, but I don't cancel myself. I cancel everybody else. And boomers also for having it so damned easy. You don't know how easy you had it. You don't know what it's like now for us. So everyone's canceled. That's it. Um, and I guess we'll leave it there for today. Nice note to leave it on. Have a great day. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodovsky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Koromina. Hair makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Criminal coyotes flourish, ferrying foreign nationals across our southern border. Republican Matt Gates considers leaving Congress amid a sex scandal investigation. And Big Tech tries to take out Steven Crowder. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.